Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever. In this episode with Michelle Brown Jennings, we do have a couple sound difficulties and some glitches and some silent patches. So please bear with us as we learn how to fix these in the future. But please listen and enjoy. And also, if you could subscribe and like on Spotify and iTunes, that would help other people, other Bluebells, find us online. Thank you so much. So this is Michelle brown wait did i skip one michelle there's something in the middle did i say that oh no that's correct that's my maiden name michelle brown oh your married name is jennings jennings that's so we a mutual dancer i have a dance studio in seattle and one of my teachers saw that both of both of us posted that we were going to the bluebell reunion and she said wait a minute you guys need to talk and then fun to meet up with you and your daughter in Paris and find out that we live in the same area and would not have known that if it wasn't for Kristen. I know. Thank goodness for Facebook. Yeah, thank you Facebook. It's been uh, make people connect after all this. So you did not grow up because like now you're living in the Washington area, but you did not grow up here. Where where did you grow up? Correct. So um, I grew up in Sydney, Australia in in a small town about 45 minutes out of Sydney called Guildford. And, um, yeah, that's where I grew up. So, did you start dancing at a young age, and why did you start dancing? Right. So I started uh, taking dance class at age nine, which is kind of late for a lot of kids in Australia. Usually, some start as early as four or five years of age. Um, and so my mom, I was one of those children that was always daydreaming out in the front lawn under the jacaranda tree, singing. <laughs> and I always had in my head that I wanted to be on stage, even though I'd never really experienced it. Um, we'd watch every Sunday, we'd watch those Sunday midday movies, you know, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, and I was <laughs> fixated in front of the TV watching that. So my mom sent me to dance school and it was just a little local dance school, Carolyn's Dancing Academy. Mm-hmm. and um we'd go every Saturday and I first started with tap and then a, a year later added ballet and jazz but um at the dance school uh you basically learned everything and um so there was clog there was Irish there was you, you just you learned it all you tried everything and um it ended up being Every weekend on school holidays, there were dance competitions called the Stedfords. And that's where you spent, that's where I spent all of my school holidays with my two sisters and my mom. She'd make all the costumes and off we'd go every weekend and go to these dance competitions. And you had probably six routines because you had fast tap, slow tap, ensemble tap, ballet, jazz, song and soft shoe, song and dance, clog. And then you had your school's group dance routines and you would compete pretty much every weekend on school holidays. So you got a lot of stage experience. Yeah. Well, we had talked a little bit before we recorded that in Australia, they're 
that people take it very serious and it's very well-rounded. Like we were saying here, you can just take hip hop, maybe take jazz and ballet, but right. that's kind of, that's not just your studio, right? That was kind of a thing in Australia. That, that was we- all studios. Yeah. At these Estefords, there was at least 10 studios competing and they would just be in that one suburb. And then you had those competitions on the same weekend in other suburbs. So a lot of competitions going on with a lot of dancers. Yeah. And in this time, are you like, I'm still going to go for being a professional dancer? Or did it kind of just carry you into that? Or was that your I mind? Knew, I just knew I loved it. I didn't know that there was a professional life at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Except for my auntie uh, also loved, she danced when she was young. And she one day came up and she was one of those people that set the VCR. This show's coming on. You know, it was back in the day when you had to record things yeah. on TV. And it was, to be true, this is so true, um, it was Shirley MacLaine at the Lido. It was a special on the TV. Really? I need to find that. And and there was one with Tom Jones. I can't remember if it was, they were there together, if it was the same show, if it was two separate shows, but she had recorded both at different times. I was probably about 13. And we sat there and watched them. And... To this very day, the the image you know that I had watching Tom Jones on stage with these these girls in these beautiful outfits, I was like, I want to do that. Wow! So, um, and help you to know how you get there, or did you have to kind of figure it well, out? Well, that was the thing. I had no cl- we had no clue how to do it, and um, I was only about thirteen at the time, but I was already tall. So already my ballet teacher would say, well, you're never going to be a ballerina because you're too tall. And um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll do, you know, uh, theater shows, Um, but highly competitive in Sydney at that time, you know, only two or three theaters and um, a lot of competition. I remember going to a few auditions uh, when I was about 15 and it was just, lines out the door of dances and but it was great experience to go to those auditions as well and then going to these Estedfords um I think I was about 15 16 and uh a lady came up to my mom and she said your daughter should be a bluebell girl so people knew of it and my mom was like oh well how do we do that and she got the contact name of a lady called Tessa Maunda who is an amazing uh, ballet teacher in Newcastle in Australia. I mean, she's one of the most incredible ballet teachers. Uh, She's got principal ballerinas all over the world that came from her dance school. And she had a connection with Miss Bluebell and um, she would audition the Australian girls to send to uh, Paris. And so my mom got the, you know, got her name and address and we had an audition. By this time, I'm about uh, 16 and a half. And so I went up for the audition in Newcastle. And it's, it was her ballet school was at the back of her house. And so it was just, you know, a, a small studio. And I remember going in there and I was a very shy person as a as a as a child even a a young adult um I just sat there didn't say a peep you know and just told what to do 
and she she called me in i think the audition took about 15 minutes she had me do um a few things i can't quite remember but i know one of them was the charleston <laughs> so i don't know why yeah and she's like you have to know how to do the charleston i'm like okay and um obviously lots of kicking and turns things like yeah. that and in she's like she's like you're perfect she said she needs four girls right now and uh three weeks later i was on a plane to paris what at 16 and a half 16 and a half yeah and that's it i don't know that they could, we could do that now is have someone under i don't think so yeah i, yeah, I don't think so interesting. It's, i'm trying to picture myself at 16 going to paris i had to convince my dad my mother yeah was all for it until I actually got the job and then my mom freaked out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, your daughter's okay. going out of the country. Yeah. And I was in grade 11, because in, in Australia you can uh, graduate in year 10 and then go to technical college, okay. you know, and do a trade school or whatever, or you can stay on if you want to go to university. That's how it was back then. Now it's different. Um, so I was in grade 11. My dad really wanted me to finish high school like the last few years. And I'm like, no, dad, this is it. This is what I want to do. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And so he was like, okay, it's once, once in a lifetime chance. And, That's um, beautiful. I feel like that would just terrify a lot of parents. Those parents well, are going to my like mom, a city that's, yeah. Yeah. My, my, my mother called Miss Bluebell and had a phone conversation with her. And then we received a telegram. That's how it was back in those days. <laughs> and to say that uh, she's offering me a contract and I believe it was a year contract to start and um, yeah I was I, I landed in Paris uh, Karina actually picked me up at the airport and um, I was there for six years did they make you indifferent that you were 16 or were you like hey be an adult just jump in here or did you feel like that people kind of looked out for you that you were so young yes so there was um with the rule was because i was under 18 that i wasn't allowed to live on my own good and, um yeah <laughs> and i didn't want to anyway um and uh i think miss bluebell she really kept an eye on those girls, you know, under 18. So after the shows every night, there were taxis that would pick us up. Miss Bluebell had her own driver and car. And he would also, once he took Miss Bluebell home, he would come back and pick up the girls. And we all had rides home to our apartments. And I lived with two other girls, Andrea King and Christina Bennett. And um, that was kind of funny because Christina and I, we, uh, we started rehearsals together and on the first day we had to they had an apartment ready for us to to stay in and we and it, but it had one bed in it so we both had to sleep in the same bed not knowing each other right. uh, in the apartment and it was like well okay nice to meet you yeah. see you in the morning <laughs> but uh we're we're lifelong friends now you know, yeah three, so. definitely solidifies if it works that makes for yeah. great well, yeah, I know. We, we were just lucky that all our personalities worked and we were straight into rehearsals as soon as we got there because you had to learn, you had to learn the show straight away. And for us, it was learn a number that day, do it that night. So each day we were adding a routine. Um, and you're thrown on stage. And that's, 
And that's not yeah. like in a hard belly. That's like in the full costume that's already hard enough to navigate. That's yeah. Like, yeah, that's a lot in one. Yeah, oh. I think after, uh, you know, landing in Paris, I think I had like a couple of days for jet lag and then rehearsal started. And I think it was about the second or third day that I was in the show already dancing. It was one number, thank goodness it wasn't the whole show. But then slowly, and they don't normally do it like that. It's just at that time, they, they were missing some people on stage. And they had did to... you do it fine or did you make mistakes or do you even remember? Oh my goodness. So uh, it was not the first uh, opening number. It was the second number that I learned in the still of the night, it was called. And my captain, PJ, she, um, a fantastic teacher, captain, she's she got me all ready and she's like okay when you hear this she took me upstairs for the first show and she's like okay this is when you go on after this number i'm like okay and i did it and then um we have a 30 minute break between the first show and the second show and then the second show she says okay now you're good for the second show right you know when to come up i'm like yeah 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 i'm sitting there in the dressing room all dressed ready to go and then i hear the music and I was like, oh my goodness, because I didn't know the show well enough. And I'm sitting down in the dressing room, the number's going on, I'm supposed to be on stage. Oh no. Completely oh, missed it. We have those dreams that we're supposed to be on stage and like, I missed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Did I completely you... missed it. I was, I, felt, I was petrified, number one, <laughs> because of thinking I screwed up so badly. And um, she came running down, so she's like, where were you? I'm like, I don't know, I didn't know it was my time. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's not, it wasn't too much of a big deal, but it just, when you're young like that, it's your first time. It was really scary feeling. So once you really were in the show, do you remember what that felt like to be on stage when you actually aren't just freaking out, trying to remember everything? Do you remember when you actually were like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Do you right. remember, oh, okay, I get to actually experience what it feels like to be on this stage. Cause again, being 16 and a half and you're in this amazing iconic show and do you even have time to process like where you are or are you just like you're thinking so much of where you're supposed to be and the choreography? I, yeah, I just remember feeling I'm so lucky to be doing something I absolutely love. And um, it was a lot of fun, yeah. you know, and I was, I was doing it with people that I really liked and there's lots of different personalities in the cast so it was always it was always a, a a good time yeah so you what was your first show coco was it coco rio wait o coco rico coco rico and miss yeah. Bluebell. i loved when we talked a little bit before like you had this wonderful bird's eye view of miss bluebell in those later days and then the transition so can you right. tell the what happened like doing that show and then the what happens in between when you're leaving and closing yeah. one show and opening another with different Different right. So I started Kokoriko in, I was, uh, it was already, a, I think, two years old, the show, and I came in 83, and it finished in uh, the end of 84. So uh, almost two years. And um, yeah, Miss Bluebell uh, was there every night for the first shows. And before the show, she would come down every night and walk our dressing rooms and say hello to every single one of us. Sometimes she'd stop and fix somebody's lipstick yeah. and <laughs> things like that. Um, or she would, you know, point out, um, 
you're, you're looking a little heavy you need to lose a little weight but it wasn't uh we weren't it, we weren't put on a scale or anything like that like yeah. you hear some other stories um but she always you know had something to say and then she would you know go back upstairs um she'd w walk the boys room as well the dressing room um and then she would sit up in a, an area we called the it was a little room with glass across the front where they would watch the show and we call it the fish tank because it looked like a fish tank basically <laughs> and um she'd watch every single show and then between shows she had a uh, an office in the back a very nice room and she would come and sit there and we could come and visit with her every night if we wanted to and sit there and talk and um i think i was telling you i wish i had done that more often than i did but yeah. um you just when you're so young you just don't realize the opportunities sometimes um but i i got to go on a um just diverting a little bit on a wonderful trip with miss bluebell and karina we went to hennessy cognac so i got to spend uh, a little time with her doing that and it was for they were using the bluebell girls for an advertisement for the cognac so yeah. they took us to uh hennessy cognac to their chateau to where they actually make the cognac and we had to like learn how cognac was made and experience all that and that was one of the most i think memorable experiences for me with miss bluebell yeah I think there's but, all these stories that people either knew her from afar, but the ones who actually got to spend time with her to get to know her a little bit more. I always, all the stories are how well she treated her dancers. And there was a, respect, yeah. definitely there was a respect, but she wasn't scary, but you knew you had to, you know. <laughs> right. Mind your piece of keys for sure. She wasn't scary, um, but she let you know if she didn't like something. Yeah. But she always, uh, you always knew that she had had your back. Mm. Yeah. So with the as far as dancers on stage and yeah. how how our contracts were given to us, and they took care of all of our working papers. Um, you know, it had to be all done through uh, the the city, um, the police. Uh, what do you call that? Immigration. Uh, yeah, kind of like immigration, but. Um, Every, every year we would have to go and renew our papers and we had a special person that would help us take care of it. And it was all very well taken care of. It wasn't like anything was illegal, so. Right, and that you didn't have to at 16 figure all that stuff out on your own. Right, and worry right. about it, right. Yeah. So active all the way to the end of that show and then you're learning a new show. Did she did she go into, the, into Panache kind of with you or was she pretty much? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So um, we finished Coca Rico and uh, the, new, the new show started and uh, rehearsals were, I believe, January for I think six to eight weeks. And Miss Bluewell was there every single day with Don Arden and the choreographers and, you know, the lighting designer, the costume designer. Um, and she would, they had a table that we call it Don Arden's table. And um, it's kind of like that first level up right in the middle. Yeah. It was the special table. <laughs> but that's, it was called that because that's where Don Arden would sit whenever he was putting on a show or when he would come to watch the times that he did come to Paris, other than being there to put on a show. Uh, so Miss Bluebell and Don Arden would sit there and they would pretty much be there every day throughout the whole rehearsal process. 
and just making sure she she was there i feel to make sure uh things were going you know smoothly and her and don arden i think would work back and forth on if something wasn't working um what they would bounce off each other so you this is towards the end of her career but she's not a young woman so yeah doing this every night at 80 ish correct yeah i think um, i really can't remember she was probably in her late 70s at that point and always immaculately dressed she would even get up on stage and kick her legs up sometimes um and uh we always thought that was fun but yeah there's she photos she was, of that. oh sorry i think there are yeah the, you always, there is a couple of, go ahead sorry Oh, so, but then you were saying like she will even do their lipstick and it almost looks like those were staged photos but that was just her like she would go back and adjust because like there's photos of her putting someone's hair right or putting lipstick or kicking and that that was just the oh, that was real that's that actually real. real yeah she would actually do that she'd be like come on girls and she'd be the first one up in the right in the middle oh, not beautiful. even not even warming up in in a skirt kicking a leg up yeah what was your experience uh, working with Don Arden? Because we all have those scary ones, but um, you know, you're pretty young taking on the right. producer. Well, when, I, when, when I started Panache, I was in the, the show before I was a Bluebell girl. And then um, in Panache, they had brought in a new line of girls called the Bells. And they were six girls and I was one of them. And they were kind of like semi principals. So we all had a, uh, one number in the show where we would be out the front as a principal and we all had to audition and Don Arden starts it's like we're gonna choreograph this new new routine one of the new routines and it was called Top Hat and Tails and he's like Michelle you're out the front and I was like I had auditioned for the tap number because it was a tap number as well I was like, okay. And so we're learning it for two or three days. And finally we have to do it in front of him on the stage. And I, um, the number starts and I mess up a whole section of it because I just, <laughs> my heart was, I'm supposed to be doing the tap number, not this number. And there yeah. was another, another girl, um, uh, called Fiona. She was a, a baton twirler and this was a top hat and, Kane number so we thought that she would get that number and um so anyway during this rehearsal time he he's like I mess it up and he stops the whole routine music and everything he's like get off the stage and I was petrified and devastated in front of the whole company I couldn't believe that he did that that was the only time he ever yelled at me um and then he moved on to something else because he, he was just done with it. And so then I uh, finally had the guts to go up to him and Miss Bluebell after the fact. And I reminded them that I had auditioned for the tap number and I'd really love to do the tap number. And he was like, okay, fine. Then uh, you're going to re-audition for me doing the tap number. So during the rehearsals, I had to get on the stage and do this tap number in front of the whole company which was nerve wracking, yeah. um, but I did it. And he finally gave me the tap number. It was, it was supposed to be Ruby Keeler, which was a, a tapper from- Wayback. Yeah, 
Yep. And that's the number I did. And I'll never forget, I, I was during that, that time when I was on the stage um, rehearsing and actually getting through that routine without mistakes, he came up to me, he walks up on the stage and we're over in the corner somewhere and he's like, you know, I used to be a hoofer. <laughs> I was like, oh really? He's like, yeah, I used to hold my head, my leg up in the air and do wings on the other leg, about 50 of them. I'm sure he was exaggerating a little bit, but um, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. So that was that was the only interaction that I had with him that uh, he got upset with me. But it turned out for the best for me. Oh yeah, I'm really impressed because I think it'd be easy to say, okay, never mind. But the fact that you had the guts, especially those of us who work with Don Arden, we know that that was not an easy thing to go up and say, hey. So yeah, that probably helped get your career just the confidence to even pursue more things. If you can do that with Don Arden, you can do anything. You're right. I, I really respected him. I felt that he was amazing, amazing at his job. I mean, yeah, I, he, he would get really loud and, but it was cause he was trying to get something done in a very short period of time too. And we're talking, you know, a lot of things are happening at the same time. He's in charge of everything, the sets, the, the lighting, um, obviously people are doing it, but he's going to make it all come together and work and take that whole idea, that picture that he has in his head and get it to happen on the stage. So there was this time issue. He didn't have time for that many mistakes. And so yeah. it was an amazing experience though, to watch this show come together. We would eat dinner after rehearsals, they would give us dinner and then we'd rehearse more. And so while we're eating dinner, they would be working on lighting or a new set would show up. And it, it was a um, really great experience to be a part of that. Yeah, because you got to close one. So you get to be on that end of it. And then to open, I feel like I came into a show that was already going and I left and it was still going. So I didn't have either. And right. I love stories of people that say what it was like to see a show created. Yeah. And be a part of that whole thing. Like you said, watching sets show up, like all that is different than yeah. showing up existing show so this and is then we, sorry and then yeah we would uh get uh parts of costumes especially headdresses that would come in and you'd learn a routine and then they'd put that headdress on you and you're like okay now we need to modify what we just learned because that's not gonna work <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah. so this is do they do different choreographers between Coco Rico and Panache? Did they change, or is it kind of they have their same crew, like choreographer, or does that change up each show? I, I think they did have the same choreographers. Um, you might have to ask somebody that did, re Karina would be able to answer that question because she started Coco Rico and Panache, but I believe, yes, they were the same choreographers. And they had three choreographers that had three completely different styles. So there was it wasn't just one choreographer per show. It was three choreographers in one show. Yeah, co correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we had Rich Rizzo, who was like the modern jazz type. And then um, uh, um, now you're going gonna, gonna to try to remember all their names, which is terrible. <laughs> but then there was Tom, who he did the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, the tap. He taught me the Ruby Keeler. And then there was Winston. He did like the St. Louis blues, like the jazz kind of like soul stuff. And um, yeah, so it was a great mixture of, you know, three different styles. So you got that great variety across the show. Well, for a dancer too, that makes that way more fun to get to yeah. have that variety. 
So uh, then Bluebell is kind of transitioning, and then Pierre, which I would love to to interview him. I would just love to hear because I know he was he's been a, I don't know if he's not around anymore with being a part of the show, but he was for a long time part of. Oh yeah, he he's part of the I would say of the legacy of the Lido for sure. He um, I'm not sure. I know he was in Ale Lido before Coco Rico. I'm not sure how early he started, but I know he did that show and he did Coco Rico. Um, he finished Coco Rico. And during Coco Rico, he was the captain of the uh, company. So um, he would run rehearsals. He would help hire uh, new dancers. So he had a, a big role in who was on stage, how you know we were dancing. Um, taking care of any personal issues that you might have. Uh, and then obviously uh, during rehearsal, he was a big part of being that captain, taking care of the whole company for Miss Bluebell. Um, and he and Miss Bluebell had a great working relationship um, from, what, from what I know. And uh, they always had the interests of the dancers and they always wanted, you know, the dancers to be taken care of and to look fabulous on stage. So they both had that. And then uh, in Panache, um, I think about two years in Panache, I'm not exactly sure, uh, Pierre took on Miss Bluebell's role. And um, I think she was just, uh, you know, it's a lot to come in every night and, and be there every night. and run rehearsals when they need to be ran. So uh, he took on that role and I wouldn't say Miss Bluebell really retired because she would come in still. She was always available to us. Mm. And yeah, so he um, yeah took on that role and um, he stopped dancing on stage. So he did not dance in panache. Uh, he, he was kind of moving into that more um, in charge of the company and take care of things, which I think they needed, they needed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like to have Bluebell not there, you have to have that done well. So people feel still, still feel they're part of it. They... And it has to be somebody that knows, uh, has been there long enough and knows what she expected. And I think Pierre had that. He had that uh, history and he'd been around with her long enough to understand what she would have wanted. Hmm. Yeah. So how long did you do Panache? 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 <laughs> Panache, yeah. Um, I was it started in 85 and I left in 88. That's a good long run. Yeah. Like, a lot of people did it for several years and no one said it was boring. I feel like everyone found ways to keep it exciting and... There's right. things to do after the show. I feel like there's always extra work, like the cognac thing. I mean, there's things that are... Right. That yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, sometimes you get tired. You know, working at night, um, that can be stressful on your body, not getting enough daylight. Um, mm. And it's a physical job. And we work six days a week, and we had one day off. And, but we only, we only worked small hours a day, if you know what I'm saying. So two shows. And when you're doing something you love, it's not like work. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, and then uh, being Australian, you uh, got six weeks vacation if you went back to Australia because they knew that you needed enough amount of time for jet lag and it's such a big trip yeah. and an expensive trip. So they allowed you enough time to, to, you know, go back. So six weeks was a nice vacation and then come back and be revived. Let's do yeah. it all over. And also my time in Panache, I started out as one of the bells and then I became a principal understudy. And then eventually I was a principal. So I uh, was a principal swing. So I got to do all of the principal numbers, which kept it very interesting. So you just yeah. have to make thing every night. So when it was someone's day off, I would do their routine and then someone else would do, you know, we'd, we'd swap around. That's a really great way to keep you sane and never bored and always growing. Yeah. And, and you got to keep your good brain. Fun. Right. Well, I used to take, um, in Panache, there was this amazing ballerina called Laurence Fanon. She was an aerial rope act and she would teach bar au sol um, outside of work. And in the beginning of Panache, I just decided I wanted to be, have better technique. So I uh, went and took class with her twice a week and one of my other Australian dance friends called Sue McLaren Smith. And we would go together and in the beginning, I'd never done bar or sol, you know, ballet on the floor. And it was so hard. <laughs> but after about a year of doing it, it made me so strong and flexible and actually helped me not get injuries at work. So yeah. I, um, I, I did that sort of thing. And I also took singing lessons. So you had... Um, you had time during the day, you would usually get up around noon or one o'clock and then go to work. You had to be there by nine because the show would start at 10. So you had some hours in the day where you could, you know, do what you wanted to do for yourself. Yeah. Enjoy Paris. That's what we did in yeah. the, first, the beginning when I was living with Andrea and Christina. We would get up, put on our makeup because you never went out without your makeup on and your little court shoes. That's what we used to wear in the 80s. <laughs> and have our hair done and we would um either you know visit uh paris because obviously it's all new to us and we would go and have our cafe creme in the coffee shop and then off to work we would go and then after work there were the nightclubs where um we'd always go as group so we were always together so it was always very safe and uh yeah it, w it was just like living the dream basically this as a 17 year old that's what's like that whole life when everybody's yeah. still in high school doing their their lessons for school and you're living this life in paris it's it's really amazing to think of that experience yeah, yeah we, we would have learned in school I, I know i mean i'd never had a lease on an apartment obviously i never had to pay a bill and so here we are thrown into this okay um the nice thing is, is when someone's coming in, someone's leaving. So there's usually an apartment available. And a lot of the times people say, oh, do you want to take my apartment? So we were like, sure. So we, we had an apartment to go to, but then, you know, you have to pay rent and you have to have first months, last months, and then, you know, um, damage deposit. Yeah. 
And then Christina and I decided we need some furniture because we had no furniture. So <laughs> we, we go to Pierre and we said, um, can we get an advance on our first paycheck? And we went out and bought some furniture and somehow we knew how to pay that off and make sure we didn't financially, you know, become ruined. Um, and we paid our bills every month and you just, I guess, just learned it because you're thrown into it. Yeah. I, I remember my dad, my parents were interviewed because having a daughter go off to Paris was kind of a big deal back then. And um, I found this out years later that I read in this article that he probably didn't sleep for about a year when they sent oh. him off because yeah. we only had phone to connect with. Yeah. And it was about $3 or $4 a minute. It was very expensive. And um, so phone calls were like once every month or so. And they just didn't know what I was doing. There was no email. Everything was aerogram. You'd write an aerogram, which was like yeah. a sheet page that you would fold up because it was cheap to mail. And that was just the only connection that we had back and forth. Did they but, come to the show? Did they, did they see you in the show? They did. So in 19, I uh, got there in 83, 1984, they came and they did a, a big like European trip. So they thought, because that's what we do in Australia. When you leave Australia, if you're going to go, you're going to go and you've got to do everything because it costs yeah. 14 to leave. Yeah. Um, so they came and they saw me in the show and they thought it was amazing. How was that for you knowing your parents were out there? I was very excited. Yeah. And you said your sister also was a bluebell. Right. So all three, I have two sisters and we all took dance class. And uh, I had already left uh, the Lido and I was back in Sydney and I was working on, a, on the Sydney showboat, which is a paddle steamer. They had a little show <laughs> on it. Um, and my sister, she was, she's taller than me. She's six foot one. And oh. she decides, you know what? She was an optical dispenser at the time. She's like, I'm going to go get to the Lido. So when, um, when um, they'd come to visit in 84, my sister was, I think she was 15. And they were dancing, taking dance classes at the time, both my sisters. And Pierre um, auditioned her just for future because she was already tall by then. And so when she decided she wanted to go, she sent her headshot and her resume back to him and he uh, gave her a job. And she was there for 10 years. Um, I think she did two, two shows. Did you see her? Yes, yes. Because when I finished in Sydney, I went back to France and worked for Pierre um, up in Deauville. He put a show on up there and, um, I was uh, singing in a show for him up there. And so I lived with my sister in Paris while she was at the Lido and I was working in Deauville. I love it because you have a sister that understands that life. And then yep. when I saw you at the reunion in Paris, you were there with your daughter. Yep. Because like your kids only know you as mom. And then to, to see that and go, that's what my mom did. Like, how was that to share? Because I know you said you had gone before and seen yes. the Milan what was that like to share with your daughter? Like, did, was she like, oh, that's no big deal? Or was she impressed? Oh, no, no. She, she absolutely thought it was amazing. She wanted to do the same thing. But unfortunately, genetics for height were not on her side. So um, she's like five foot seven and a, and a quarter. She's Which is really cool, which is weird to think that's short. I know, right. 
So she did uh, a little audition at the Nouvelle and um, she, uh, you know, wasn't quite really ready, I think, for the standard of dance and then also not being tall enough. I mean, if you're a little short, but you're really amazing at, at they would probably like not worry so much about the height. But um, the Nouvelle Lab is a really uh, very, like lots of technique, lots of dancing, yeah. more so than at the Lido, it's, they dance a lot too, but there's, you've got all those bigger costumes. So you're, you're a little limited, uh, even though both dancers have to have the same amount of technique. I'm not trying to say that they're less of a dancer. It's just the, the situation of the show. It's a small yeah. review, you know. So um, she didn't get the job, but um, that didn't deter her. She came back and went off to college and went for the dance degree. But my daughter has been an artist her whole life. And she finally realized, you know, art and film is her thing. And that's what she's deciding to do. So I'm super excited for her. Yeah. And I'm just so glad, though, that she got to experience a little bit of being a dancer and seeing... I, I I've taken to Paris twice. And so she's seen the Moulin Rouge and the Lido both times. And she absolutely loves it. But she understands that it's not really for her. So but what a great experience to, uh, to go yeah. to the your mom and get to audition. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, it's still like, who gets that opportunity? And right. their kids are going to have different paths. Like that your parents let you go. <clears throat> My voice is going at such a young age. But like, if we're, you know, you got to let your kids do what, what they're passionate about and find their own path. But the, right. yeah, I'd, I'd love to see you there with her and just see her get to see that part of your life is wonderful. And also as an artist, so she's going to do photography and art, seeing that kind of show, I'm sure must help a little bit of visual of this. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's very artistic as far as she plays the piano amazingly, you know, she just, she has that in her and um, uh, I'm just excited to see what she does in her film and photography and, and art. That would be amazing. It was wonderful to get to talk with you. And it was fun because I'd only seen your picture on Facebook. And so when I, I'm like, there's too many tall women here. And then I wait, well, she's with their daughter. And there actually were quite a few mother and daughters there. I think I made maybe six or seven that I met. Yeah. Tables over and I went, are you Michelle? <laughs> so yeah, you came up to me. I know. Cause I, I'm, there was so many people there. It was yeah. Trying to yeah. figure out. And I'll, even if you work with people, we all look a little bit different. Right. And, I was like, but I feel like it was really fun to connect and realize that we live in like probably 20 minutes, maybe a half hour away from each other. I know that was so much fun. And the fact that, uh, I mean, my daughter, what, what are the odds that my daughter's high school dance teacher is somebody that, you know, I mean, <laughs> and here yeah. we are. Yeah. Oh, so the best of both of you. And I hope, I mean, we don't live that far away. I don't think we have any excuse when quarantine is over to go have a glass of wine. I would, I would love to do that. That would Let's be fantastic. Yes. All these friends that we didn't know were friends until now. So um, best to you. And it was really, really great to have this chat. You had just really great um, pieces that we need. Like every interview brings a little different aspect of what that life was like. So yeah, I'm so like experience bluebell like that because that's that's the part of the story that i'm like oh you you got to have that 
not just like a one-time thing, but to actually I know. I, I find myself reminiscing every now and then about that life. It's like I have two lives. I have my before kids and marriage life and then my second life. And yeah. those little snippets kind of filter in sometimes and I find myself daydreaming and just thinking about that time and what a, an amazing experience it was. And I would do it all again twice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So with you on that yeah. so I feel like the 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 reunion in the podcast it's allowing us to really celebrate and I think gratitude like to be grateful when you're 20 is different than when you're in a different place in life and not just like long for those glory days but to be like to have gratitude I think right. um yeah it was pretty spectacular yeah. all right keep dancing whatever form even if it's in your kitchen thank you <laughs> talk to you again soon Michelle all right thanks Sherry take care I had your daughter. I will. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.